name's Tim. Hi, Hi guys. <laughs> um, I don't come up here that often, so it's kind of uh, nerve-wracking a little bit. But uh, as Pastor Andy has stated at the beginning of this year, that uh, this year's theme is uh, that Jesus is the hero of our story. Amen. And uh, um, <clears throat> a couple weeks ago... Uh, I spoke to a lady uh, and was sharing the gospel with her. Uh, she was a homeless lady, and uh, I sat there, talked with her for a little while, and tried to help her, and uh, shared the gospel with her, shared Matthew, uh, Matthew 6, verse 26, about, uh, about, how, about how God takes care of us. And, uh, and how if, if our Lord will take care of the birds, well, then he'll, he'll surely take care of us. Um, she did not receive that message <laughs> very well. Uh, you know, but it's, it's not, it, it's, it's not going to stop me from sharing that message. And, uh, I and even though we encounter people like that all the time where we share the gospel and they, they reject the gospel and they reject the word of God. It doesn't mean that we should stop sharing it, um, especially as as followers of Christ. That is our duty to go out there and spread the gospel. Um, that's really it. I'm going to say a little prayer and then uh, we'll get started. All right, um, Father. I pray over the congregation, Lord. I pray over our church leaders and the message that we're about to hear today, that our ears will be open and that we'll be listening to, to what is uh, told to us, Lord. I thank you for, for gathering us all here and just let us be brothers and sisters in Christ and just learning from you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.
faith be a song. Let faith be a song that overcomes the raging sea. Let faith be a song that calms the storm inside of me. Let it rise. Let faith arise. We'll see you break down every wall. We'll watch the giants fall. You cannot survive when we praise you. The God who breaks through on our freedom feels like this is what heaven sounds like we praise you we praise you this is what living looks like this is what freedom feels like this is what heaven sounds like we praise you we praise you this is what living looks like this is what freedom feels like this is what heaven sounds like we praise you we praise Freedom feels like this is what heaven sounds like. We praise you, we praise you. We'll see you break down every wall. We'll watch the giants fall. Fear cannot survive when we praise you. The God of victory's on our side. Forever lift him high. All creation cry, God, we praise. Who's on our side? Forever lift him high. We all creation cry, God, we praise
Who needs, who needs God today? Amen. Amen. Let's, let's just take a moment and uh, let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And just call the name. Call the name. Just call on him. Say, Father, I need help with my body. I need help with my mind. I need help with my heart. I need help in my marriage. I need help in my home. I need you today, Jesus. Don't just sing, call the name, call the name. We don't believe in a distant God. We believe in a God that's right here in this room listening to you, hearing your cries, wanting to meet your needs today. Father, we believe that if we call your name, that you'll hear our cries and help us in our time of need. Father, be with this congregation today. Open their hearts up to you. Open their hearts. Let them hear from you today. Father, I want to thank those of this church family who faithfully tithe and trust you with their finances. That they're stewarding their resources that belong to you in a way that honors you. We know that you're real. We know that you're there. We're calling upon you this morning. We love you. Come on, church. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. let's sing it as well. through it. 
Good morning, New Life. I'd like to go ahead and dismiss the kids right now. Let's uh, let's go ahead and take a couple minutes just to uh, just to say hello. If you could all go ahead and be seated. I'd like to um, start off with reading you a psalm. Uh, if you'd like to open up your Bibles, it's Psalm 51, and it'll be verse 1 through 4. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion, it haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight, and your judgment against me is just. Thanks, Steph. He's reading the opening verse. I, I like hearing, sometimes I like hearing somebody other than me. Amen. I know you guys would like that too, but that's not how it works. That is one of the penitent psalms that David spoke when he got caught in sin. You say, I thought we were talking about marriage. Well, <laughs> we are. But today we're going to talk about infidelity. Oh, the joy. I can tell you're excited now. David wrote that psalm after he was caught by God. And that was a repentant prayer that he prayed to God. Infidelity is the only commandment that's repeated twice in the Bible. Once for doing it, the second time for thinking about doing it. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 14. We're going to run through the Bible just a little bit. Exodus 20 and verse 14. I'm going to grab a chair. Do you mind if I sit down? Probably won't last much longer than the thought, but It 
Sometimes you just have one of those days when you want to sit at work. (laughs) Exodus 2014. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. Now there's a lot that goes into adultery that, that starts with infidelity. And I'll explain what infidelity is in a minute. But Matthew chapter 5 and verse 28. New Testament. Right after Malachi. Right before Luke. I'm not helping, am I? Page 758. I don't know if that helps at all. That's probably more like numbers. Matthew 5, 28. We're we're just going to take a little time today. Is that okay? If you're here today and you're single, would you raise your hand? A lot of singles. If you're here and you've been married forever, or at least it feels like it, (laughs) would you raise your hand? (laughs) Marriage counseling begins... On Tuesday, with 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 Angelo, <laughs> my job is to stir up business. Matthew five twenty eight. Jesus said, "But I say unto you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart." One single act of infidelity can rob a couple of relationships of happiness, identity. Intimacy, what used to mean to be with one person for life, now means one person at a time. So I'll be intimate with one person at a time, and that's okay. Infidelity is also a moving target. It used to be that when you, um, I'm trying to be PG here, that the physical act of oneness would have to occur for adultery to be infidelity. But today that's all changed. With the advances of technology and the times we're living in, there are many new additions to what infidelity is. Sexting is infidelity. Being married but active on dating apps. It amazes me the number of married couples that are active on dating apps. You're married. I almost called you a name, but I mean, it's, it's amazing to me. Emotional affairs are getting very popular now. Being married to your job, your kids, your cat. (laughs) Hey, that's real. That's real. That's happening in this world that we're living in. You laugh until you're the one that marries your cat. (laughs) The definition of infidelity that I've used for this study is that it's a secretive relationship. It's emotionally connected. You're very emotional about this connection. It's physically, it's a physical mental construct where dreams of another outweigh the actual contact with another. You don't even have to have contact with the person. You can just dream it or dream about it all the time. And you're being unfaithful to your spouse. This is what God was talking about when he said in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that's your neighbor's. 
God said, don't want something that's not yours. Years ago, I used to go to pastor's meetings and you would go to a big church and you would look at all the things that they had and you would think, boy, if I just had those things, you would covet what they have. You would lust after what they have. And there would be people who, would, who are pastoring small churches, smaller churches who would come and say, I wish I had what Pastor Roberts had. And I'm thinking, well, you, you, can, you can have half. It's not mine anyway, but it would be lusting after that. What's changed even more is the intensity of what infidelity does. It's not just cheating on your spouse. It's such a romantic ideal that it requires one person to fulfill all of your needs through this marriage covenant. And we put our lives into that. Like I'm wholly trusting my wife with myself. Everything I am and everything that I'm about and everything that my future is is tied up in her. And if she does something against that, it breaks down everything about my life. When infidelity happens, it says to us that we're not enough and threatens our very sense of value as a person. Remember on the day of your engagement, you've, you thought to yourself, I'm wanted by this person. And in the moment you found out there was infidelity, you thought to yourself, what's wrong with me? Why am I not wanted by this person? It quickly changes how you feel about yourself. And this idea of infidelity has created a new sense of shame. We used to feel shame for being a cheater. Now we feel shame for being the one who's been cheated on. So the one who cheats is the one that gets off and they're blessed. It seems like they're blessed. But the one who got cheated on, there must be something wrong with them. And I've heard that from several people who I've done ministry with over the years. Who once they're cheated on, they feel like, I'm, I'm the problem. It's like, no, you, you, you're, you're innocent. But you start thinking there's something wrong with you. Over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about interest and intimacy. But how can interest in, in, become intimacy and then become infidelity? How can it change so quickly? In writing uh, on the Song of Solomon, there's no reference to infidelity. I looked. There's no reference in there. But if you know who Solomon was, you'll learn that his mother's name was Bathsheba and his father's name was David. And David and Bathsheba committed infidelity. Solomon was born through a relationship that didn't start out the way that God intended. Solomon knew the story of his parents. And please do not raise your hands when I ask that, but I wonder how many of you have been in, as, as a child, you know that you're, one of your parents committed infidelity on the other and how that impacted you, how that changed you. And you know that story and it's impacted how you have relationships with people. So we're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 11. We're going to look at Solomon's parents. By the way, could you imagine if we did that with your life? Let's examine you as parents through the eyes of your kids. That's not what we're doing today, by the way. Second Samuel chapter 11. 
Take your time. And I want to explain to you how this happens. And this comes from not just from what the scripture says. This comes from many years of doing pastoral ministry. Are you there? Is anybody not there that wants to get there? Were you there? Okay, we'll go with you. You're ready. Oh, page. Well, my, my page is 375, so Second Samuel chapter 11. Second Samuel chapter 11. Did I not tell you guys that? This is terrible. No, I probably didn't. Second Samuel chapter 11, verse one and two. And this is the story of what happened with David and Bathsheba. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened. This is in the ESV. It says it happened. And I've heard several couples say that. It, it, it just happened. No, there's something that happened for it to happen. It didn't just happen. I was innocent. I was just this, and then all of a sudden it happened. No, it doesn't just happen. There's some things that come into play that happen that cause you to take, make that move of infidelity. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch. The couch word means bed. And was walking on the roof of the king's house when he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. David, it's important to understand, was known as a man after God's own heart. So just because you've been in church your whole life and you claim Jesus Christ as your Savior, what people see on the outside might be that you seem spiritual. You may not be what you portray yourself on the outside, inside, outside what is on the inside. I knew I could say that right. See, infidelity can happen even to the most faithful Christian. Oh my. So what happened? What happened? What, what happened that happens could happen to us? David got bored. David got bored. Look at what it says. David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch. He, he was a mighty warrior and he took a break. And he was supposed to be leading the army of Israel into battle. But he stayed at home sitting on his couch. And I'm using that, that term, but it's really bad. He didn't get out of bed until late in the afternoon because he had nothing to do. He just slept in all day. And he was bored. Warriors don't do well when there's something not, to, not something to fight for. I, I believe this. When you stop fighting for your marriage, you're going to get bored with it. It is said that most affairs are a way to bring renewed excitement into life. He had seven wives. That wasn't enough. Seven wives weren't enough. And by the way, next week we're going to learn about Solomon who had 700 wives. And he married 
most of them in the last eight years of his life. Meaning he had a wedding almost every four days. Yeah. Could you imagine giving the invitation every week? You can go to Target and buy this for... Every week. What David once liked, he no longer was excited about. What he once liked, he no longer was excited about. Remember when you first started dating and you were so excited about this person? You were so excited and you began to like them and you began to just, you were not bored by them at all. But now it's like, eh, you're just not very exciting. So just to help you, an affair is not a way to spice up the excitement in your marriage. But that's what happened. His mind began to wander. Look at what it says. He was walking on the roof of the king's house. You know, our minds are powerful and they can create thoughts and dreams to fulfill desires. We can create thoughts that we think are true that aren't true. When your mind's wandering, it's a very dangerous thing because our minds can't handle wandering because our eyes usually follow them. No longer was David thinking about what he had. He was thinking about what he did not have. I don't like this person the same way that I used to. I don't love this person the same way that I used to. There's things that are lacking in their life. And so I'm not looking at them anymore as the one who I like and who I love. I look at them as somebody who just doesn't bring to me the same excitement that they did when we were first together. What you first liked about your spouse, you, could, you, you just couldn't stop thinking about them. But now you're bored and your mind is wandering. Please do not raise your hands. But I wonder how many of your, your mind is wandering right now to something other than the person that you're with. And he began to look for something better. He lost interest in his spouse. He began to look for something better. Look at, look at, then he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. I, this is what I love about the word of God. He, God doesn't pull any punches when he speaks. Like he gives us words that are purposeful, that are powerful. She wasn't just beautiful. She wasn't just normal. She was very beautiful. She was better than his other seven wives. She was more than because he started getting bored and he started wandering and he started looking for something better. He lost interest and sought something new to interest him. Matthew 5.28, as we read earlier, but I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Once you've looked, you've crossed the line, according to God. Because you're bored. This person doesn't do what they used to do for me. Your mind wanders. I need to find something better. And you start looking. You know the interesting thing about relationship is how easy it is to find fault in the one that you've been living with. But you don't realize the problem, the fault is there might be because of you, not them. That's just a freebie. I just threw that one in because I have nothing else to say. 
at this moment. See, his observation became his obsession, which became his oppression. His observation, looking for something different, looking for something more exciting, became his obsession. But it became his oppression. It controlled him. He couldn't stop thinking about her. Second thing about infidelity, it happens when you lose interest in your spouse. Infidelity happens when you leave intimacy. That's two becoming one. In the spiritual sense and the physical sense. Remember, love is what you, when you surrender your life to another. And you say, my life is yours. I'm surrendered to you. It's when two become one. And this is true of the physical act of sex. And it's true of the emotional act of singleness. Where you say you give up singleness for relationship, for a marital relationship, intimacy, oneness. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 3. Second Samuel 11 and 3. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house. I know you didn't come to church to hear this today, but this is just where we're at as a world. He inquired about her. He wanted to know, he, he, he lost interest in his wife. And he started asking about somebody that wasn't his wife. And what he found out is her dad was Eliam. Now Eliam was one of his, David's top 30 warriors. Eliam fought for David. It was like having your best, fr best friend's daughter. And that's what happened. He found out that it was, it was his best friend's daughter. And Uriah, the Hittite, was a faithful and dutiful soldier. He would have done anything for David. He would have done anything for David. But he also learned the truth about her, Bathsheba. She was a willing participant. David sent for her. She came to him. And gave herself to him. Now I know we know we 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 say that the 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 or I, we read and see the thing. No means no, right? But that doesn't mean that okay make it makes it okay. Just because someone's a willing participant doesn't mean it's the right one, not right person for you to be with. And okay doesn't make it okay. But when you lose interest and you start looking in other places, you look for the okay. And you say, the okay makes it okay. No, it doesn't make it okay. Because I don't think your spouse would agree with that. I feel like I need to get up and preach. Just because somebody says it's okay doesn't make it okay. 1 Corinthians 6.16 says, Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two shall become one flesh. 
When David crossed the line, he took something that was supposed to be two becoming one and threw a, a third wheel into that and that was not God's intention for the relationship. Any of you who have experienced infidelity in your marriage, you know the person that, you, that was part of the uh, additional relationship is probably not very welcomed by someone in that group. Amen? If it's the husband that's cheating on the wife, I'm guaranteeing you the wife's not saying this is okay. The other woman might be saying it's okay, but the wife's going to say, no, that's not, that's not the deal. That's not what relationship's about. You're supposed to like me and you're supposed to love me. God, is it heavy in the room or is it just me? Too many of us are too close to that line. You've lost interest and you're leaning away from intimacy and you're headed towards infidelity. See, what begins in the mind, once you convince yourself, can quickly escalate to what's done in the body. What you think and then what you see, if you're not careful, can quickly become what you do. And so there's somebody in the room that's going to say, that would never happen to me. I've heard that so many times. I would never do that until you've done it. Because you stop liking each other. And you stop loving each other. And you take that liking, that love, and you give it to somebody other than the person that God intended you to be with. And the third thing I want to mention real quick is infidelity will change you. Look at verse 5, 2 Samuel eleven five. 5. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. It's kind of hard to hide that one. Her husband was at war. Her husband wasn't going to come home. In fact, when he came home, David told him to go home to be with his wife to try to cover it. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that. I won't, I won't seek the comfort of my wife when my fellow soldiers are out at battle. Uriah had more character than David. See, there's two things about hiding infidelity that I want to mention. Once the line's been crossed into intimacy, whether physical or emotional, you never are the same. Once you've crossed that line, you can't say that you're innocent because you know you've done it. And you'll never forget the one that you're spiritually connected to because there's a spiritual there's a supernatural marker that happens when two become one. That's why Paul talked about the prostitute. You can't become one with somebody physically and have it not impact you spiritually. David was a man after God's own heart. And after committing adultery, David became a manipulator, a murderer, and a disrespected leader of men. Nobody would respect him anymore. Infidelity changed him. Now, if you want to follow me, go to Numbers chapter 32 in verse 23. Now it's time to preach. Or at least stop sitting around. Amen. I love to hear babies in church. Babies mean what? Life. 
Now I'm going to read the verse and then I'm going to have to explain it because I think this has been taken out of context more than many verses in the Bible. Verse 23 says, but if you will not do so, and we need to understand what that was. Behold, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure your sin will find you out. On the surface, it seems like it just means that all your sin is going to be found out. Like everyone's going to know everything that you've done. But in the context of this passage, Israel was entering into the promised land and there was a couple of families that wanted to stay on the other side of the Jordan. And so Moses said, you can stay on the other side of the Jordan if you come and fight the enemies for the rest of Israel. So come fight with the rest of Israel. Let us get our land that God has promised us and then you can go back to the other side. But he said, if you don't do that, if you don't do what you promised, fight with us. People are going to know that you've sinned. It's not that your sins will be individually proclaimed, but people will notice that you're not who you were because of what you've done. Can I say that one more time? It's not that your sins will be individually proclaimed, but people will notice you're not who you were because of what you're doing or what you've done. I've heard from numerous couples how they've noticed subtle changes in the relationship and they didn't think it was an infidelity, but they just noticed something's different. They're not the same. What you used to like about the person that you, when you first started dating or maybe when you were first married or maybe you were newlyweds, now, now you complain about those very things that you used to like. You used to say, I love to hear your voice. And now you say, I wish you'd shut up. Amen. Don't laugh about that in front of your spouse. That's not kind. You used to be intimate often physically, but now it's different. Now it's rare. Because you're no longer one. You're two. Paul said this is where temptation begins. When you start making changes or when changes start happening to you because of Infidelity or the act of infidelity in your relationship. You can't hide your sin. Someone's going to see it. Someone's going to notice. And I've heard from multiple couples who have said to me, well, I just thought they were going through a phase. Yeah, they were. When they start buying gold chains and having their shirt unbuttoned down to here and start driving. <laughs> Amen. And, that's, and they're used to wearing hickories and suspenders. <laughs> and they start wearing cologne instead of smelling like sweat. Something's different. Infidelity will change you. You won't let... No, I won't say that. Ultimately... Infidelity is destructive. If you go on and read the story uh, about David, infidelity destroyed the marriage of Uriah and Bathsheba. David tried to cover it up, had to murder Uriah. David's infidelity destroyed his family. The fruit of David's sin, the child in Bathsheba died. David's children were destabilized. A daughter was raped by a brother. A brother was killed by another brother. That brother ran away from home. 
The nation of Israel was hurt and angry by David's sin because they thought that David was a godly man. The division that happened to Israel was taught to the people to choose sides, either choose David or choose his um, young son who ran away. I can't remember his name. Just something, anyway. Not important. His son became rebellious. His father lived with disrespect. He could no longer lead the nation of Israel like he used to because nobody respected him in the same way. And a congregation of people, a community of people, a, 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 a country were discouraged. You want to talk about the problems in America? I think it starts in the home not the halls of Congress. I think Congress is just reacting to what's happening in the home or not reacting. See, I think many of the problems Americans are having today are due to the increase of infidelity in marriage and the subsequent destruction of the home. Children no longer feel safe. They are insecure. They are filled with anxiety. Six-year-olds, five-year-olds filled with anxiety. When I was five years old, the only thing I was anxious about was when I was going to eat again. I didn't worry about whether I'm going to have a a house to live in. I didn't worry about whether my parents were going to be together. I knew they were going to be together. Why? Because they were following Jesus. Emotional problems are on the rise and we're just doping our kids up. And you say, well, that's because of their anxiety. Where's the anxiety come from? They don't feel safe in the home. It's the home. This is making it more difficult to pastor a church than ever before. Because the, thing, the issues you have with trust because of broken relationships in the home, you're having trouble trusting God. So you're making me work 10 times harder because, because your parents couldn't stay together without committing infidelity. It happens. Let's not hide the fact that it happens. It happens. It crosses the line. Infidelity crosses the line. I don't care what your excuse is or reason is. It crosses a line. And you can't hide it forever. Because it'll change you. And it's destructive. America is where it's at because of infidelity. And it's very common. I'm shocked to hear about so-and-so having an affair or so-and-so leaving their spouse for somebody else. It is estimated that 75% of all marriages today will in some way, shape, or form experience infidelity. 75%. And I don't think this generation is aware of how close they are to crossing that line. But can I encourage you in this, if this is an encouragement? 
I'm gonna get more positive here in just a minute. God will let you know when you've crossed the line. God will let you know when you've crossed the line. When you stop liking the person that you used to like, you're moving towards the line. When you start, stop surrendering yourselves to each other in love the way you did at first, you're starting to move towards the line. I'll never cross that line. I've heard that so many times. I've spent, I should, I should add up the hours. I should have a little timer on my office just for infidelity. Just click the button and see how much time that I spend on, on broken marriages because you once liked one another and you once loved one another. Now you don't. You started to like and love somebody else. I've spent a lot of time counseling, comforting, crying with broken families, dealing with your kids that are so screwed up because they don't know who to trust or what to trust. Because you couldn't follow the Bible. But God will let you know. As with David, God sent Nathan the prophet to call, and called, to call David out on his sin. And Nathan used a story and he said there's this poor man who had next to nothing. And he was going to offer an offering of, of his animals. And, and there was a rich man that had everything. And the rich man took the poor man's sheep and offered it for an offering. And he said, what should happen to the rich man that stole from the poor man? And David said, that man should be stoned to death. He should be killed. And Nathan said, you're that man. You're the one that took something that wasn't yours. You're the one that looked at something that wasn't yours. You're the one that thought of something that wasn't yours. It didn't belong to you. It's not yours and you took it. You're that man. You're that man. And if you are in tune with the Holy Spirit at all today, you should be feeling what David felt. It's called conviction of the Holy Spirit. You used to like your spouse, but now you don't. How far are you from crossing that line? How far? I'll never cross that line. You, you never say never. You used to love your spouse. Now you don't. How far are you from crossing that line? You think you're hiding things, but your sin's being found out. I can tell how you get mad at me for preaching what I'm preaching today because if you're not in sin, you're not mad at me. You're thinking, I'm glad it's not me. Trust me, people know that you're not the same. People know that you're not the same. I'm hiding it really good. If you've got to hide it, you've changed. Because if you're innocent, you've got nothing to hide. And again, in case you're thinking that would never happen to me, I think... I think you need to realize that it could very much well happen to people in this room. And I, I thought of, how do I get them to understand how easy it is to cross the line? 
And this may be the dumbest illustration you've ever heard in church in your life. But some of you like your cell phones more than you like your spouse. And you're more intimate, more one with your cell phone than your spouse. Like, I can see you somewhere and you don't, you're not with your spouse, but I never not see you with your cell phone. You so like your cell phone, there's so much to, to, to do and communicate with it. You, you just spend all your time like this and your spouse is sitting next to you and they don't even get to see your face because all they see is your hand and your cell phone. Taking selfies. It's you and your cell phone. It's not about selfie. It's I'm with my cell phone. I remember there was a time before cell phones. And they just started coming out. And very few people had them. And suddenly they got to a price where people could afford them. And I remember Christians who used to tithe, trusting God with their finances, Stop tithing because they couldn't afford to tithe and have a cell phone. They so lusted after what this phone offered them that they would give up everything spiritual just to have a cell phone. Some of you are cheating on your spouse with your cell phone. You, you could go anywhere without your spouse, but you can't go anywhere without your cell phone. Told you it was the dumbest illustration I've ever used in my life. But what if Jesus said, get rid of your cell phone? What if Jesus said to you, like the man, he said, pluck out your eye. Instead of looking on with lustful intent on somebody, you're better off to pluck out your eye. What if he said, get rid of your cell phone? How many of you would actually do it? You wouldn't because you're too into the cell phone. You, you wouldn't do it. You can't even handle being in church for an hour without having your trusty cell phone by your side. I love the sound of when cell phones drop and they drop below the, the, the seats there because we've got little slots to steal your cell phones. <laughs> and then at the end of the service, you hear Joey with a drill. We're <laughs> digging your cell phone out because you got to have it. But you could leave your Bible here for a month and you wouldn't even know that you lost it. Nobody comes back on Sunday afternoon and says, open, open, open. I got to get in the church to get my Bible. Some of them used to be interested in God and intimate with Jesus, but something's changed. Some of you used to be more, you just really liked church. And you gave yourself to it. And then you started liking something more than the church because the church wasn't as exciting as it used to be. So you fell in love with something other than the church of Christ that he gave his life for. I've seen you do it with Jesus. You fall in love with Jesus. I I love Jesus and I surrender my life to him. And then all of a sudden, you just, it's just not as exciting anymore. So you start going after something else. James chapter four and verse four. Let's turn there if you can. That's close to the back. If you go to Revelation, you've gone too far. 
James 4. And we'll be done in a, a minute. As you know, that doesn't really mean a whole lot when I say that. I'm trying. James 4.4. 4. You adulterous people. That's not a good way to start out. That's not a good way to make people like you. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over, you, over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? See, you can commit infidelity on God just as easy. I would never do that on my wife. I've heard it said multiple times. I'll never do that on my husband. I've heard it said multiple times. Never, I'll never fall away from Jesus. I've heard it so many times. You stop liking what you used to like. You stop loving what you used to love. And you start being drawn away from those things and drawn to something else. Because it's more exciting. When you stop liking and you stop loving, you'll start looking. When you stop liking and you stop loving, you'll start looking. Some of you are looking right now. And you're doing it in secret. And you say, nobody knows. Somebody knows. Your spouse is wondering why you're hiding things that you used to not hide. I've heard it said numerous times. I let my husband or my wife check my cell phone all the time. When they start hiding your cell phone, it's probably because they're trying to hide something that they don't want you to see. When you walk into the room and all of a sudden they change screens, they're just surfing. No, they're looking. You say, why is this about cell phones? No, it's about intimacy and infidelity. See, once you start looking, you'll find out what you'll... I don't know why I wrote that sentence. It means nothing. When you start looking, you'll find what you're looking for. But it won't be what you actually desired when you started. Matthew 5.29 says, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better to lose one of your members than your whole body to be thrown into hell. That's how graphic God is about this subject. And somebody in this room today is getting too close to that line and you need Jesus. Somebody in this room has either gotten too close to the line or you've gone over the line and now you're in a place where you know, how do I get back across the line? We're gonna talk about that. So let's have the worship team come up real quick. And let's stand with me, please. And if you want, turn to Psalm 51.
And I'm not going to ask you to come up because I think that you'll be afraid that we're going to identify you wrongly. And I don't want you to feel like we're shaming you. We're not trying to shame you at all. We're trying to help you see that what you're, what, what's happening can be dealt with if you deal with it. I don't know if you've been unfaithful to your spouse. I don't know if you are being unfaithful or you're right at that place where you're starting to think that you're going to be. But you don't like them the same way you used to and you don't give yourself to them the way you used to. And the next step is to go somewhere else. So if you need Jesus today, you need to start with a confession. Could I get something in the background, Angela? Thank you. Psalm 51.3. David says, For I know my transgressions. I know my transgressions. I know what I've done. I know what I've looked at. I know what I've been looking at. I know what I've been thinking. I know what I've been doing. I know it. You don't have to tell me. You don't have to spell it out. I know it. My sin is ever before me. It's right here. I, I know it. You don't have to dig to find it. It's right here. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, speaking to God. So that you may be pure, justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. God, I just want to be honest with you today. Somebody needs to be honest with God today. You need to be honest with God today and say about your spouse, I have been unfaithful to them. Well, I haven't gone to the physical side. If you've looked, you've already been there in your mind. And that's all God needs to identify infidelity. Well, I was just looking at porn. That's infidelity. Well, I was just looking, this, this guy has been nice to me and he's been saying good, positive things to me that my husband won't say. So I, I just am drawn to him. I just, wanna, I just wanna be around him. I'm just beginning to be emotionally connected to him. That's infidelity. You know if you're in the wrong place. You know it. And God's calling you out today because he doesn't want you to continue on that path. And you want to be honest and say, God, I want you, I, I, I'm going to say this is what's going on in my life because I don't want you to have to lie about me. Because you won't. Now this contains some fear, especially for the Christian. Psalm 5111. Cast me not away from your presence. Please do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Cast me not away from your presence. God's a holy God. God's a pure God. And when we fall into this sin, we, we make it to where it makes it hard for him to be with us. Could you imagine, Christian, if the Holy Spirit wasn't speaking to you? When you started to cross that line, the Holy Spirit said, you're going too far, you need to come back, you need to get these things right with me and with your spouse. 
Could you imagine if the Holy Spirit said, you're just going to do what you want to do anyway, just go and do it. And once your life is a train wreck, once you've destroyed your life and you've destroyed the life of your children and your children's children and your children's children's children, then maybe you'll repent. Instead of listening to the Holy Spirit when he says you're crossing the line, stop. We're going to talk about that next week. Some of us in the room need to ask for forgiveness from the one you've sinned against. Now, you've sinned against your spouse, but you've more, more than that, you've sinned against God. Psalm 51.1. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 9 in Psalm 51. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. There was a song we used to sing. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cleanse me. Cleanse me today. I need to be cleansed of the sin. I've crossed the line, or I'm crossing the line, or I'm beginning to follow that line. I've crossed it with my spouse or I've crossed it with God. Created me a clean heart. Blot out my iniquities. Forgive me, God. How many of you just today need to say, forgive me, Jesus? Just forgive me. How many of you today need to humbly receive God's grace? Psalm 51, 17 says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. See, if you're so prideful that you don't think that God's calling you out on your sin, he'll just let you continue on that path. David wrote this psalm because he said, I can't live this way anymore. He wrote Psalm 6, he wrote Psalm 32, he wrote, wrote Psalm 51 he wrote Psalm something else he wrote Psalm 130 I think it is 140 one of those two there's, there's six of them that are penitent Psalms he didn't just write one Psalm and say my heart's broken he wrote several Psalms and said God I can't live this way I can't be in this position I can't be under the weight of, 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 of your holiness and your righteousness forgive me You need to humbly receive God's grace. Because God wants to forgive you. That's why he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross, to pay for what we've done wrong. And live in his mercy. Psalm 51.8. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Verse 12, restore unto me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Yesterday, I'm talking to a young couple who got saved about a year ago, who when they first came, they were destroyed. They were broken. They were messed up, messed up people because of addiction and other things that were going on in their lives. And they came to know Christ as their savior. And I talked to them yesterday and they're just laughing on the phone and there's so much joy coming over the phone over 
ridiculous things. And that's not who they were when I first met them. They were crying and they were broken and they were sad and they were hurting and they were, they were lost. And they met Jesus and he forgave them of their sin and they, now they just laugh all the time. Because Jesus took away their sin. Jesus forgave them of crossing the line. Jesus loved them and with a love that they, just, they, they can't even imagine. And they just wouldn't stop laughing. And I thought, that's the sweetest sound I've ever heard. The joy of their salvation. And when you receive the joy of salvation because your sins have been forgiven... Because God has not taken his presence away from you or taken the Holy Spirit away from you. And because you've confessed your sins. Psalm 51, 13 says, then will I teach transgressors their ways and sinners will return to you. See, your testimony, your story of sin and salvation becomes what you share with others. I used to be this. I used to cross the line. I used to do that. And I saw that it was sin and I repented of that and God forgave me and now this is the life that I live today. And you can have that life. This world needs to know that Jesus Christ can save them. Tim shares the gospel with some random homeless person. Not because he's trying to get marks on his belt, but because he knows what it's like to not be with God. He knows what it's like to have somebody be alone. He knows what it's like to lose somebody you love because they don't know the love of Christ. So he shares the love of Christ with them. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Please. Father, I believe you want to restore love in the room today. I believe you want to take a family that might be breaking apart and you want, to, you want to help them learn to like each other again. You want to take somebody who's crossed the line and you want to forgive them and give them grace and help them to get back on the path of liking and loving their spouse. You want to be with these singles in the room that maybe haven't found that person yet. And make sure they find somebody that likes them. That they really like them as people. And they need to find somebody who's willing to give their life up for them. But then find somebody who's willing to fight the temptations to fall away. Father, we need you. The children that are in the kids', kids life area today need parents who will come to you when they're crossing the line and confess and be cleansed so that they can feel the care that only Christ can give. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Is there somebody in the room that would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? And please, nobody looking around but me. Nobody at all but me. Pray for me. 
Pray for me. Amen. Somebody else, pray for me. Be honest. Pray for me. Gracious Heavenly Father, I know in the room there are some that are afraid. They're afraid to be honest with you today that they need your help. That their life is falling quickly out of control. That they're close to crossing the line or they've had the line crossed on them and they don't know how to deal with the pain that came from that act. Because they no longer feel good about themselves, Father. They no longer feel joyful about themselves. They need you today, Father. So I pray today that if there's one in this room that needs you, that today they would find you if they seek you with their whole heart. Please be with them. In Jesus we pray. And God's people said, let's, let's sing it as well because I want you to leave at that place. And if, if you need to come pray, about anything going on in your life. Just come forward. Come on. Come pray. Is it well today? Come on, is it on? Is it well? Are you at peace with God today? Maybe there's somebody going through this kind of a relational issue that you need to come pray for. Just bring it up to the altar and say, God, here's this family. They need you today. They need to hear from you today. They need hope. God can do it. God can restore your marriage. God can give you hope. God can make you feel a love that you've never experienced. Stop the storm. So let go my soul and trust in him. The waves of wind still know his name. So let 
Come on, God's waiting for you today. He's waiting for you to call out to him. Come on, lift it up. With my situation. If you are the man, he'll save you from it. soul today I got to play Nathan in this whole little drama I tried to bring you the word of God to help you get free from the bondage of your sin if you're here today and Jesus Christ is not your savior and you want to know him you need to come talk to us at the end of the service I'm not going to come to you I want you to come to me and say how do I know Jesus Christ is my savior how do I get my sins forgiven If you're a believer today and you've been crossing that line or you're afraid you're going to cross that line or you're afraid someone's crossing that line in your life, you need to search your heart and call upon God because he's the only one that can help you in that situation. Because if you've got a spouse that's rebellious against the word of God, the only way you're going to reach that man man or woman is not by you talking to them but by God talking to them. They need to hear from a sermon like the one they heard today and come under the weight of their sin, but not because you're nagging them, but because the Holy Spirit is trying to draw them to Him. It's the only hope that you have is if God does His work. Father, we love you. Encourage your hearts. We've just got a couple minutes to go and I want you to just keep working. If there's somebody in the room that wants to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, please encourage them to come up and ask someone in the front how they can know Christ as their Savior. And Father, if there's somebody in this room that's struggling with their marriage right now, they're either crossing the line or afraid that it's crossing the line, that they would seek counsel from the pastors of this church this week.
not be afraid or embarrassed or ashamed, but they would take what your word is saying to them that your spirit is speaking to them about and open their hearts up to godly counsel from people who are trained and taught in how to give that counsel. Open, open their hearts up to you, Father. We love you, and Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. y'all may be seated just real quick. We got a couple of announcements from my beautiful wife and from our Kids Life leader. You all are invited to our Easter service, which will be held on Resurrection Sunday, March 31st at the Astoria High School at 10 o'clock, and it'll be in the auditorium at AHS. And we only have, I think it's six weeks now until Easter, so go ahead and start inviting your family, invite your friends. Everyone is invited. We just want to see you all there, and we want to celebrate uh, Christ's resurrection. Oh, we will need helpers, by the way. So if you have um, not volunteered yet, speak to Joey out at the info desk after the services today and each week until we get all the way up to Easter. We would love more helpers. We always are in need. Thank you, Deborah. We have a women's clothing exchange coming up on March 2nd, and it will be here Uh, We will take donations, any clean women's clothes, shoes, bags, purses, um, any of that kind of stuff. If you can um, get a hold of me before February 28th, that gives us time to organize everything in size. And then on February, March 2nd, we will have it set up here. It's from 9 to 4. And you come and you can go through all of the clothes that are there, anything that is there is all free. You can take whatever you want, however much you want. Um, it is a great community event. We've done it for uh, quite a few years now, about four years. We've had about seven of them so far, um, and every year it keeps getting bigger, and it is amazing. If anybody would be willing to donate any clothes, that would be awesome, or if anybody's willing to help set up on Friday or take down afterwards, um, you can get a hold of me, and I can help you with that. So, thank you. She's much kinder than, than I am. They need help. <laughs> so, um, you can all help set up or break down or be there during the day while people are going through the clothing. Yeah, we need help folding. We need help folding throughout the day because when people go through it, it can get a little chaotic, <laughs> uh, a little messy. So, um, kind of like you're working in a store, just folding clothes throughout the day. <laughs> so, this this is... One of the um, ministries to the, those in need, and we want to not just help you with that, but we want to help others with that. So, um, so go out to Joey out at the information desk. I think Christine or Joey will be there, and say I'll volunteer for Friday, or I'll volunteer for Saturday, or I'll volunteer for all the times, or I'll just be the the volunteer, or I'll just do everything. <laughs> but we need help with that, and same with with Easter. But right now, this is our priority. So. So if you have the time, make the time and help. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for a godly wife that I believe with all of my heart that you chose for me. I know for me it's been easy to like her. And it's been easy for me to give myself to her because I just love her. Father, I just pray that you never 
put me in a position of temptation to be drawn away from that. But if there's someone in the room, Lord God, that that's not been their experience, that you would speak to their heart today and draw them to you. If it's a spouse who feels like infidelity is occurring or might be occurring, draw them closer to you right now. They're going to need you more than ever. They're going to need your spirit to speak to the heart of their spouse and move on their behalf. If there's someone in the room, Lord God, that is single, I pray they never have to experience infidelity. But it starts with their relationship with God. So I pray that they learn how to be faithful to a spouse by being faithful to God. And Father, in the areas where they're weak on that, Father, open their hearts up to be faithful, to show them their sin, help them understand how they need to surrender their lives to you and do so. Father, we got one more message in this series, and I believe it's the best one yet. And I just pray that the people of this congregation, Lord God, learn and grow and fall in love with you even more. We love you so, and Jesus, we pray, and all God's people said, y'all may be dismissed, please. I forgot one thing. Secret Sisters, next week we will be doing our reveal. After the service, we'll all meet right up here in the center on the floor here, and we will be exchanging our gifts and revealing who we are. So okay, and one more, one more thing. Go home. <laughs> and go home. And please take your kids. <laughs>